Shalom, shalom, friends. Thank you for being with us in this important uh, learning and conversation today. I'm not going to go through the, through the formal bio of decades of leadership um, and positions um, that Rav Yitz has, has held, um, because you know that. And I just want to share that, you know, this uh, Rav Yitz has been my beloved teacher for decades, but really became my Rebbe when he walked into my wedding, when he walked into my wedding, uh, uh, and I was confused why he he attended and had the time or her ability to attend a, a, a katan like me's wedding. You know why he would show up, and and that and that that launched uh, a new era of me understanding that Rav Yitz is not uh, someone that we appreciate just abstractly as a philosopher or theologian, but as someone who has taught us that um, we 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 ultimately live through our actions, our actions of care and actions of love of how we take care of 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 our students and our and, and our community. Um, and that's ultimately the best testament to those those values we're teaching in the classroom. And so um, it's great to be here with um, the, 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 the really um, uh, the, the founder of this movement, although I'm the founder of Eretzetic, the Orthodox Social Justice Organization, the founder of this movement is, is, is Rav Yitz, um, who, who taught us how we can be um, religiously committed in the most traditional sense, and also how that is interconnected with our societal responsibility. Um, and our role to, to to show leadership and to leverage our power responsibly, and so um, Rav Yitz, thank you for thank you for being here uh, to talk with me today. My privilege, my privilege. Okay, so I'm Shmuley's number one fan, so I, once in a while I get it, I get to talk to him by going on a program like this. Uh, you know, when when some people say um, number one fan, they they often they often mean that just sort of tongue in cheek, but. Uh, but don't actually do anything to back it. But Rav Yitz is someone who behind the scenes is constantly supporting his students to ensure, to help to ensure their success. And I can't, I can't share how much it means to me and to so many others. So, um, you know, it's easy today in the social justice world to forget what we're talking about because there's a, there's a purity test. Where do you stand on this issue? Where do you stand on that issue? We get lost in the micro. So I want to zoom out to the macro, what we're actually doing here. And maybe you can share, what is your, what is your foundational theological um, uh, position on, on how we develop a Torah-rooted social justice consciousness. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> uh, I would say to me the central, or the, or the central value on which a commitment to justice, to human dignity, everything else is built on, is on the concept of celebration which, as you recall, the Bible and the climax of the creation of the world, the Torah says that the God created the human being. That means every human being. And as the Torah says, men and women alike in the image of God. Now, what does it mean for a religion that teaches God has no image? You're not allowed to image God. What does it mean to say every human being is an image of God? And that question I have wrestled with most of my life. And there is a mission in Sanhedrin, which I like to say, which I believe has the key for all of us. And make a long story short, it's a case of capital punishment. So the mission felt that witnesses cannot testify when the human life is at stake unless they understand what is at stake in the human life. What is human life worth? And make a long story short, they say the story of Telemachim, it's a narrative in the Torah. It's not the literal way humans develop. That God created humans in the image of God means three fundamental dignities that every human being is born, not by race, not by color, 
not by religion, not by nationality, not by gender. Just by being born human, you are endowed by your creator with these three dignities. What are those three dignities? One is infinite value, namely in the words of the unforgettable words of the Mishnah. If you save one life, which is of infinite value, it's like saving a whole world because the whole world, all 8 billion people are 8 billion versions of infinity. So every human being should be seen and treated as if they're infinitely valuable. Now, what does that mean? That means your life is worth more than any amount of money, but no amount of money is too much to spend to save your life or to enrich your life. And most important of all, nobody should lack for money or resources or food or shelter, any of the basis of human dignity, because my life deserves that treatment and that standing and that value. Secondly, every ceremonial can means every human being is equal. There is no preferred image of God. God is not white, God is not a woman, God is not black, God is not a man. All images of God, and there are multiple images, are equal to each other, they're infinitely valuable and they're equal, and last but not least, each image of God is unique. You're not a stereotype, you're not one of a, uh, you've seen one, you've seen them all. Each person is unique and different, it'll never know the person like you are. Now, to put it, and this gets us to the social justice issue, this means that every human being in the world should be recognized. That's the key, the Torah says, recognize them and respond to them as an image of God. That is to say, when I see you, when I see a homeless person, when I see an illegal immigrant, when I see a, a person with disability, when I should see maybe somebody who's so infinitely valuable that I feel an urgent need to take care of them, to make sure that they're not hungry, they're not starving, they're not cold. When I see such a person, I should feel immediately a sense of equality, not superiority, not they're gay and I'm heterosexual and therefore they're deviant. I should see this as somebody equal to me who should be precious and treasured to me and last but not least unique. And because they're unique, I have to make sure that they're not hurt, that they're not suffering, they're not abandoned, that they are understood and treated with their unique contribution. So the long and the short of it seems to me is that when we recognize the profound truth that not just every Jew, but every human being in the world is the image of God. We have an enormous responsibility to give them equal, equal justice, equal treatment, equal care, equal love, and equal responsibility. Beautiful, beautiful. That resonates with me so deeply. And yet I know that so many people um, can live this as a bumper sticker. It becomes about identity. It becomes, I, I, you know, I'm part of Tzalem Elohim team. I make a Facebook post. But what are really the implications? You started to touch on it, but what are really the implications if we were to adopt this uh, theology central to our Jewish identity and central to our ethical commitment? So again, it's a very, very important question. And the, the point, the main point is simply this. This is not just a lovely idea. This is not just a, a beautiful image that we can be satisfied with. And gee, look, I pat myself on the back. I'm Look, I'm looking at this colored person and I'm treating them as equal or a big shot. Uh, or I'm looking at this person who's hungry and I'm feeling patronizingly, well, I can help them a little bit. What the Torah, and the, perhaps the best way of capturing it in the Yerushalmi Talmud, in the Darim, there's actually an argument. What is the fundamental 
foundational principle of the Torah. In other words, if you look at 613 commandments, what do they have in common? What's the basis? What's the driving force? It's a machloket. It's a disagreement. Foundational principle, the Klaal Gadol, the whole Torah, is this very idea of Tzalem Elohim, that the human being is in God's image. What does he mean by its foundational? Look at the commentaries right there. They say simply this. If you will recognize this person as an image of God, every person, then you will automatically observe all the commandments of the Torah or automatically not do the sins. What does that mean in plain language? Well, I will not stand by. That's how I feel. That's where the law of tzedakah comes. Famous line that Judaism, tzedakah is not charity, it's an obligation. That's what tzedakah means. It comes from righteousness, doing the right thing. Well, why is it a commandment? Why is it a commandment? Well, the answer is if I recognize you in all your preciousness, in your equality, how can it be you're equal to me and yet you are lying there homeless? You're lying there or you're starving. Your children are starving. It can't be. It's a violation of the fundamental reality of the world as it's supposed to be, according to the Torah. It demands immediate tikkun. The whole Judaism is a religion. And how do you repair the world so that everybody is treated this way? So that's my point. This is not just a nice theoretical statement. Every action of yours should be shaped by it. In fact, if I can add a footnote, it's another way of saying the Torah is not a set of commandments, with all due respect, from a good God that tells you to do good things. What the Torah is saying, wake up and recognize, encounter, meet the fullness of the dignity and the humanity of this person. Don't turn away because they're an outsider, or because they're an inferior, supposedly according to the culture. And meet them in all their grandness, in all their humanity and their depth and their value, and you will instantly feel not to steal from them, that's to take advantage of them, not to harm them, not to speak evil of them, because they are valuable and they're equal and they should not be treated so. Not to spread stereotypes or degrading images of them because they're unique. And on the country, look and see what's the particularly unique quality and greatness of this particular person. So again, the, the, the key obligation of a religious person, certainly one who wants to keep the Torah, is to translate this vision of the Torah of every human being in the into behavior, into personal behavior, into the community itself, into the communal life that I build, in which people are made provision for. This is the responsibility that each of us has to has to take on to live by this Torah and to live up to the Torah and to carry out its vision. So it's beautiful. So I might have thought I could check the box. I, I, you know, I'm from, I, I keep kosher and Shabbos and I, you know, I go to Kol Nidre and I do Pesach Seder. I can check the box. I'm from, you know, but actually these meets vote are there to refine character and to awaken a responsibility and a radical in really a very radical way. Or I might've thought, you know what? I'll just be secular. I've got the ethical teaching, Selim Elohim. Like I've got it. I'll just go do that. What do I need religion for? And, but actually the meets vote are there to harness and bolster and to enhance and refine this work as well. And so we have to hold on to this uh, commitment. So let me ask you, Rav Yitz, so this is, this is a beautiful uh, first theological framework for us to have um, as Jews. It's, it's where the Torah begins. If you were to offer a second theological framework for how we think about 
our human responsibility and our and our uniquely Jewish responsibility? What would you offer? I, 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 but it's, uh, let me give an example. I think it's one of his, Rabbi Soloveitchik's finest and most important teachings. Soloveitchik says, if you're an image of God, you know what? You, it's a mitzvah to become more like God. Since you are the image, you're like God. Of course, when I say like God, humans are like God, they're not God, and they have to understand the limits. But still, if you're like God, you can become more like God. What does that mean in Soloveitchik's language? It means to imitate God. Talmud gives the classic example, God is kind, rachum, compassionate, chanun, gracious. You should be kind and gracious. Alvechik says, no, it's a much broader thing. Whatever God does, you should be imitating that and trying to live up to that and therefore becoming more godlike. Now, what is God doing? <laughs> or what is it to imitate God? I want to call your attention to Psalm 146. Well, Psalm 146 we say every morning, traditional Jews, Orthodox Jews say this every morning, right after Ashram. It's in the warm-up prayers that bring us into the presence of God. And there the psalm that Tehillim says as follows, blessed is the person who depends on God, who turns, who turns to God as the one of whom he has hope, the one who sustains them, the one who gives him strength. Well, say Shemaimers, yes, the creator, this infinite power that at the same time is available, loving and caring, and wants to be connected to us. If you turn to this person, what he, as a person, to this wonderful, unique force, what do you see? And this is what the Tehillim says. God, who is the creator, Osem Mishpat Lashuki. What does God do all day? What is God's activity in the world? God brings justice to those who are oppressed, those who are getting shafted by the judicial system, to those who don't have proper legal representation, to those who lack the protection of the law. God, or those who are getting bad judgments, unfair judgments like Agunov, the answer is God spends the time, God is committed to bring justice and to end the oppression wherever there is oppression. You want to imitate God? That's what you should be doing. But the, the, the pastor goes on to say, Hashem Asurim, when there are people in jail, in prison, and particularly those who are unjustly in prison, or how about those who are caught trying to cross the border and they put them in quarantine and they lock them up in camps and things of this sort? The answer is Hashem Asurim, God makes it God's duty. And if we want to imitate God, that's the way to act it to release those people from their unfair, for their unjust imprisonment. And then Hashem Pokechevim, God opens the eyes of the blind. And that means I should be concerned, how do I improve the life of the disabled? Or how do I help cure them? Or how do I help give them a better and more equal opportunity despite their handicap? And Hashem is okay, those who are bent, those who are bowed down by burdens, by oppression, by just simply the weight of the obligations that life has put upon them and they're struggling. Those who have been down, what does God do? God lifts them up. That is to say, that's my responsibility to see the people who are bent or who are suffering in this society and to help straighten them out. And then Hashem O'Hev Sadiqim, the Talmud said, the, the Pasuk says, God loves the righteous, those who understand this and who carry this out. God will love you to do this. 
Hashem Shomer Gerim. And don't forget, as part of your righteousness, that God looks out for and protects the outside of the Gerim. The Gerim is not just a convert, it's the outsider. It's the person who is treated like the other capital. It's the person who is seen as the marginal or the ex expelled from society. That's where Hashem is looking at and that's where you should be. And finally, it says, You know what God, God cheers up, gives hope, gives encouragement to the orphan for whom there is nobody to protect and look out for, to the almanah, to the widow, or again, to the equivalent in our time, to the agunot who have been abandoned by the halachic system and by the rabbis and their husbands who are oppressing them. That task of imitating God says, he says, this covers all the ethical responsibilities in life. In other words, there isn't a moment or a place where you shouldn't ask yourself, how can I imitate God in this behavior pattern? And the point of saying the prayers again is, God doesn't need empty words. God doesn't need all this praise. Look how great you are. On the contrary, these words are meant to bring us to God's presence. And yes, you ask me secular. My answer is, if the secular respects Hamalukim, as far as I'm concerned, that's true respect for God as well. And that's the point of imitating God. The Torah is saying that only respect for God is not worship, not words, not honoring ceremonies, but to imitate God and do this, to help lift up the bow down, lift up the oppressed, give justice. And in that moment, I will say, you will not only meet the image of God you're helping, you'll meet the God who is there and is present in this moment. Wow. So, you know, I, I, I might have thought, I might have thought, oh, a successful life is me being, uh, rising the corporate ladder and getting rich. I might have thought a successful life was uh, pursuing happiness. Nothing against those things. There's nothing wrong with a, a good thing to have a successful career and, and, and certainly nothing wrong with being rich. Nothing wrong with being happy. These, these are fine things. But here we the Torah comes and says, actually, the, the main measure of a successful life, life is a daily accounting of living, living uh, in, in a godlike manner. Uh, in a godlike manner, where we where we never lose that moral priority, no matter what career we're in. And so, what Rav Yitz has offered us so far is first the a foundational theology around the, that everyone is created in the image of God and all the implications of that. And yet, that we might think that's just ontological; it's just a belief; it's just a, a passive human right. But then we come to to to, to learn that, that that's not what Rav Yitz has in mind. There's an activist component to that, and even further to bolster that. Uh, based on imitatio dei, that halachta bedrachav, that not only do we have to affirm that we ourselves are created in the image of God, but that we can expand that that capacity through our daily through our daily actions as they're manifest to being godlike, and so and so th this is very important that and that we never lose sight of this in the work we're trying to do to bring justice to society and in the work we're doing through Torah and mitzvot, and so my last question um, is. So where's God in this? Where's God in this? Because um, it, it's easy to say, oh, as a religious person, what that means is that I pray to God and God is going to handle this. And your theology has, has, obviously, has obviously flipped that. Um, but where is God in all this? So, again, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very important question, if for no other reason. We're living in a time of secularity. When God is hidden, I, I believe, again, this is for another whole conversation, this is God's will to be hidden, meaning God is self-limited to call humans to be more visible and to take active responsibility. And the Torah's vision, the divine vision, the great promise of the whole Jewish religion, 
is that this world should be repaired and every aspect of it should be brought into justice and equality and human dignity. That repair, that calling, that is what God wants and therefore God has become more hidden. But the counter presence is when God is hidden, when God is hidden, let me just say again, it's the actions that count here very bluntly. People who pray a lot or who talk a lot about God, but then they oppress or neglect or ignore the image of God, as far as I'm concerned, it's empty words. It's empty words. And the only way you really can know God in a time like this is the opposite direction. To go and to help the needy, to help the oppressed, to help the suffering. And then you will find God there as well. And this is the main point I would like to point out because the more, one of the most powerful passages in Yeshayahu, who is perhaps the greatest of the division is, and the one he says, let me speak to you. If you're looking for me, God's speaking out and says, if you seek me, it says another prophet, seek me and you will live. If you can connect to God in the depth of life, in the depths of justice, in the depths of goodness, you will have the richest and most powerful experience. But here's what Isaiah says, if you want to find me, if you want to live a life sustained by the sustaining blessing and presence of God, Here's what you do, he said it. Marom v'kadosh On the one hand, God is in the high and mighty, in the places of holiness, in the infinity of eternity, which none of us can fully grasp. So how do you connect to God? How do you find God in your limited life? The answer is, God says, you will find me, you know where, particularly in the oppressed, in the suffering, in those who seem to be totally abandoned by society. Because of their suffering and their need, Hashem is even closer, goes more. So if you're looking for the hidden God, the place to find that hidden God is to go and bring food to the hungry, to go and bring justice to those who are imprisoned unfairly, or to free them or to give them their freedom back. That capacity is where if you'll exercise that activity, that's where you will find God. Let me make this a little sharper if I can, because it's, I've, I'm, I've been haunted most of my life of the struggle of trying to understand the Holocaust. One of the most shocking things about the Holocaust, this mass murder, mass torture, mass oppression of Jews, was that there were religious people who carried it out. To me, one of the most devastating passages in all the reading I ever did was a story told by the Einsatzgruppen, the captain who was, that was the shooting squads. They went through Russia and they shot Jews, men, women, children by the thousands every day for a year and a half. A million and a half Jews were shot to death. And he tells the story with the prosecutors cross-examining him. He says, you know, there was a group of Jews in the Crimea and they were shooting them and then the day before the commander turned to him and said, you know, tomorrow's Christmas. It's very disturbing to hear the shooting and the crying and so on. And I wouldn't want to disturb Christmas. So I'd appreciate it if you'd finish them off before tomorrow. So the prosecutor asked him, what did you do? He said, well, we got up early before sunrise. We took out the last Jews and we shot them. He said, we got back just in time for the mess. 
And when I read that, I, I, I couldn't. So in a sense, here's a person who felt that they could worship God, be part of a religion at the very moment that they were mass murdering innocent men, women, and children. And then I realized this is the truth. And by the way, after the war, I discovered that Albert Camus had written about this. Albert Camus said, I'm an atheist, you know what? But when he came to France during World War II and he saw the Germans, what they were doing, the Nazis were doing to the Jews, he went into the underground. He said, you know, I was a Marxist atheist. When I first got into the underground, I didn't trust any religious people, Catholics. You know, they're the old regime, their reaction. But then I discovered a very devastating truth, he said. They were Catholics in the underground because they understood that they had to stop this mass murder. And then I discovered that some of my Marxist atheist friends were collaborationists. He said, I realized in the end, what you say about do you believe in God, don't believe in God, it's empty words. What do you do? The difference is those who are for this mass murder or against it. Now, how do I apply that to my religious understanding? If you're a religious person, but you are with mass murder, then it's a fake. It's false words. You don't believe in God. And okay, what you say you do, your actions speak louder than your words, and then you reverse that. If you are the image of God, you give your life, you risk your life to save it. And the answer is your actions speak louder than words as to what you believe. So I can close with J.O.'s main point. If you want to find God in this world right now, there are many places and there are many ways of doing it. But the most likely place, he said, look around where there is suffering, where there is a vulnerable, where there is people who need you. Look around with the people who are oppressed or who are in jail or in unjustly being treated. Go help them. And in helping them, you help you are joining, you are connecting, you are fulfilling the act of loving God just as much. And, and that is a, a challenge to each one. Only rich in the country, if you use what you achieve to help others, let's see, a greater mitzvah. But every day, or at least in a systematic way, to look for some chance of righting the wrong, of helping an abandoned person, of saving an oppressed person from their prison. If you can do that every day, you will meet God every day. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Rav Yitz. Sending you love and bracha and continued chizuk. God bless. Thank you so much. Be well.